Well, good morning, church. Glad you're here to worship the Lord Jesus together and uh, some great singing this morning and offering up sacrifice of praise to our Lord. I'm going to throw some phrases and terms out to you, and uh, you can think on these for a moment. Alternative lifestyle. My truth. Don't judge. Who am I to say you are wrong? Phobic. Add that to any noun that you want to, to describe anyone that disagrees with you. Tolerance. Compromise. We all worship the same God. My God wouldn't send anyone to hell. And on and on you can go. These phrases comprise the theology of the new gospel of this nation. Anyone who stands for absolute truth, that is the truth that the Bible teaches, is considered a bigot, a hater, and a whatever, fill in the blank, phobic. The church has given in so long to this way of thinking and this way of speaking that it is now part of the ethos of most congregations. Let me be clear about something here for you and I I do not expect you to come to a conclusion all of a sudden but let me be clear about this if you do choose to stand against the godlessness of this present culture you will go into the fire do not expect anyone to applaud do not expect anyone to approve Do not expect anyone to come and bail you out. They're not going to do it. And the question that you will have to wrestle with is simply this. If I do stand for the truth of the Bible, will God rescue me? And be careful before you answer that too quickly. Will God rescue me? Well, Daniel chapter 3 is where we are. I would entitle this message, We Will Not Bow. And so, if you're looking at this section of the Bible, uh, looking at verses 1 through 7, I would call that section the pressure to conformity. Now, look at the scripture here, Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. And let's just say it's like 90 feet high and about 9 feet wide. So there must have been some kind of base for this thing to to be fixed upon. And so there's, but including the base and the statue itself, it's 90 feet high. 
And so we don't know how big the base is. It's probably very, very large. But this is the, the image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, bear in mind that Nebuchadnezzar just received a, 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 his dream being told to him through the prophet Daniel. And Daniel was recognized as a servant of the Most High God. And Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that and proclaims it and turns around and makes a statue. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps and the prefects and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud. See, these people are officials. They're government officials. They're people that have been appointed by the king. They are part of his cabinet. They are his homies. And so he gathers them together and Nebuchadnezzar has set up this huge monstrosity of an image outside of the capital city. And so now he invites all of these people to come and they do not know what's going to be coming next. And so what comes next is the proclamation of the herald of Nebuchadnezzar. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you're commanded, O peoples, nations and languages... That when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, there's a pressure here to conformity. Now, I don't know how many people are gathered here, but there's several hundred probably. Babylon was a huge uh, empire and Nebuchadnezzar, if you remember his policy, he would uh, conquer a certain area of the world. He would take the best and brightest from that area, whatever nation he conquered. He would re-educate them into the religion and language and culture of Babylon. And then he would turn around and appoint them to be uh, his uh, representatives in whatever area of the world that he assigned to them. That's what he had done with Daniel. And with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and in a few years, he's going to get Ezekiel and do the same thing to him. And so this is his plan, how he's going to bring all of these nations together and form a melting pot, if you will. And then they're all going to agree with his belief system. And so now what's happened is Nebuchadnezzar is feeling a little shaky about things. He's just had an encounter with the living God. And what he can't allow to happen is this, that the God of the Hebrews would step forward upon the stage of Babylon and take over. This could cause a revolt in the kingdom as those who do not agree with the truth would then rise up and throw bricks through windows. 
And so he can't allow that to happen. So he must subjugate, he must subdue, he must get under control this God of Daniel. And so how he's going to do it is he's going to call for allegiance from everyone. This is what this is about. This is about getting everyone's undying, unmitigated allegiance to him. And he's going to do it through a religion that everyone can agree with. The religion that he determines. And so everyone can agree with this. And you don't even have to say anything. You don't even have to say that you agree with it. All you have to do is bow the knee one time. That's all you got to do. That's all he's requiring. And so here is the pressure to conform to that. There's pressure from the king. He says, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Now, this is a construction site in Dura where Nebuchadnezzar had built this, had this large image built. And so obviously there's a furnace there where they were maybe making bricks or melting gold or whatever they're doing. So it's a huge thing. And history tells us that this thing can be heated to about 15,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So he's not kidding. And smoke's boiling out from the top of this large furnace. And it's a furnace that kind of looks like maybe like a big uh, vase or Coke bottle or something. So it's like that. And there's a door in the bottom where you could put more coals in. And probably it's, it's, it's being affixed to the side of a hill or a mountain. So they have a ramp where they can go up the side of this ramp. And so from there, there's another door where you can throw your metal or whatever, all that stuff in there. And so you can, you can do that. And then there's a top where all the smoke is just boiling out and it's, it's hot. And I can't imagine being in that part of the world, how hot it is and having a furnace burning. So Nebuchadnezzar is, is pointing people to his image and saying, now, you're going to bow down to this or you're going to go over there. This is, these are your choices. Either this or that. And by the way, I just want to let you know we're a tolerant society. Are you connecting the dots here? We're a tolerant society. Very, very tolerant. And so we don't really care where you're from and we don't care who you sleep with. We don't care about any of those things. We don't care how confused you are about gender. We don't care. All you have to do is bow down. And if you don't bow down, you're, you're going to go over there to a really, really hot place. Now, in order to make people do this, he, he has to enforce it with some kind of fear. And so Nebuchadnezzar, because of his fear is now trying to rule by fear. Nebuchadnezzar does not want to be confronted with the truth. He's decided that the way forward is to silence the voices of biblical truth and in turn amplify the voices of self-will. It is deism versus humanism. It is the God of the Bible versus the will of man. And this kind of thinking is in our society today, not in small measure, but in large measure. It's in the school system. It's in the White House. It's in Congress. It's on the street. 
And if you don't fall down, and if you don't worship the idol of compromise, and if you don't tolerate the lies, you're going to be cast into the fiery furnace. You're going to lose your job. You're going to receive a lower grade in the classroom. If you're a teacher, you're going to have to be re-educated in the right way of thinking. And so we have to be very clear about this. This government under which we live is not interested in promoting Judeo-Christian values. Do you understand that? You are now living in Babylon. You're going to have to learn to act like it. Many of you think you're still living in the promised land. You're not. The vision of the Puritans is long dead. It's long gone. And so now what we have is the vision of Nebuchadnezzar. That's where we live now. And there's pressure and pressure and pressure. And pressure. And pressure comes from the king, but it also comes from the culture. Verse 7 tells us all the peoples, all of them, fell down and worshipped the golden image. Everyone else is going to do this. Everyone else is going to compromise. Even some of your best friends, even those who go to church. They're going to compromise. Now... I want you to hold on for a minute because we're in southern Ohio. And I know how some of you are thinking right now. And in order to understand this passage of scripture, I want to beg you, think biblically, not politically. We are mentioning political things, but politics is not our problem. Truth is the problem here. So I I want you to think biblically. Okay, here's what this is not. Here's what, here's what's not gonna happen in this story. I want you to listen now. This, and I'm gonna make a lot of friends here, so thank you. So here's what's not being said. These people are, God is not gonna ask them to take a stand against the government mandate for the COVID vaccine. He's not telling them to do that. He's not telling them to stand up for their Second Amendment rights. He's not telling them to do that. God is not going to challenge them to stand up against some perceived prejudice that the government may have against them. He's not saying that. Those, you've got to put that in the right category. Those are all earthly citizenship items. Now, there is an avenue by which you can have a voice in those things as a citizen of this nation. That's not, these people are not citizens of the nation of Babylon. That, that's not what's happening here. So you, you, got, you have to be careful as a Christian that you do not evoke the name of Jesus over the Bill of Rights. You do not have that authority to use His name. You do not have his authority to use his name over whether or not you take the COVID vaccine. Do not evoke the name of Jesus and and, and say, I'm not going to take the vaccine and then you croak. That makes him look kind of bad. He never gave you that authority. Do not use his name in vain. Gun rights are not a Jesus issue. Most nations in the world don't have that. It's a privilege that we have. We love the privilege. We're thankful for the privilege. But it is not a biblical promise. 
Do you understand that? We, we've been given some great blessings that most people in the world never get. And we're thankful to God for that. But those are not biblical promises. So for you to take a political stand about those things, do not evoke the name of the Lord God to be on your side. Don't do it. God has not given you permission to use his name that way. You know what I hate? I hate when I get a call for a reference for someone that I did not give them a permission to use my name as a reference. I hate that. You know what happens in those situations? That's an automatic not so good reference. Just a word to the wise. I didn't give you permission to use my name. And the Lord doesn't give us permission to use his name in that way. So I'm not wanting to empower you to get all arrogant about your constitutional rights here. This is not three boys standing up for their constitutional rights. I want us to be very, very clear about that. Our Americanism is not the same thing as our Christianity. Our citizenship in heaven is a different matter than our citizenship on earth. Our citizenship on earth may change three or four times. But the citizenship in heaven better be staying forever. So our eye is on our eternal citizenship. Our eye is not on just what's passing away. The temporary is not our everything. It's not our everything. It's, it's not the end of all things. Am I belittling American citizenship? Nope. Greatest privilege in the world. No, no, nobody else on earth have, have these privileges. Listen, I, I've experienced, if you, if you ever travel internationally and live internationally, it's a privilege, I'm telling you. It's a privilege like you wouldn't even imagine. It's like a golden key to everything. I'm telling you this, people are not trying to steal passports to, to Namibia. Let me just put it that way. So, it's a great, but, but that's a different matter. Go vote. If you want to run for political office, run for political office. Do those things that have to do with this. But but that's not God giving you a right to use his name behind your cause. Here is what's happening in this situation. There is an eternal issue at stake. This is not about three people standing up for their rights. Or for quote what they believe. Stupid phrase. We don't care what you believe. I don't care what your opinion is. It makes no difference to me. Your opinion is about as good as anybody else's. Worthless. That's not what I'm going to stand for. What I believe. I believe all dogs go to heaven. I'm going to stand for it. I mean, come on, man. We don't care. We're talking about eternal, absolute, undeniable, infallible truth. That's what you stand for. You don't stand for the rest of this stuff. You don't give your life for the rest of it. This is it. This is what you're looking at. And so we're looking at what is eternal. Someone may encroach my rights. I don't like it. If I can fix it, I'll fix it. If I can't fix it, I can't fix it. But I'm not going to act like it's a gospel thing. It isn't. We can't evoke the name of Jesus just to support our political position. We have privileges 
But they're not biblical promises. And so we need to learn the difference. What is being stood for in this story is going to be the name of Yahweh God. It isn't guns, it's the gospel. It isn't a vaccine, it's verity and truth. We can't convolute the two things all the time. We have to weed those things out. And sadly, among many Christians, it appears to me that the Bill of Rights is way, 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 way more important to them than what the Bible says. Pressure to conformity is real. And usually, the conformity doesn't happen all at once. It happens a little bit at a time. The preparation then for confrontation. There's the pressure to conformity. But what happens next? It's this preparation for confrontation. Look in verse 8 and following. Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king live forever. O kingy, kingy, we love you, love you, love you. And we're only saying this, what we're going to say, for your good. (laughs) Because we're looking out for your well-being. There's not any other kind of motive in our lives whatsoever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And, and when the king uses the word O before your names, it's bad. O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up. Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fire furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship The golden image that you have set up. Preparation for confrontation. These three young men, probably still teenagers at this point. Perhaps 20 years old, maybe 21. Maybe they were that old. They had already been preparing. This was not spur of the moment. They knew this was coming. When all of the crowd bowed down, hundreds of people bowing on their faces to a golden image, three boys stood alone. Just three. And so now they're called on the carpet. And there are a couple of things that they have to deal with. One, there's a confrontation about the nature of God. Nebuchadnezzar asked this question. 
Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? In other words, so you think your God is greater than me. This battle is about the nature of God. Who is the God who will deliver? Who is he? In our culture today, you find very few atheists. What you do find is many syncretists. They take a lot of different viewpoints about God. And they blend them all together. And they come up with their own menu. And here is who God is to me. Just makes me want to vomit. This is who I think God is. I don't care. Well, you know how God... No, you don't know. No, you don't know. Well, a pastor... See, pastor... You, you think you know. Oh, I know I know. Well, well, how can you say that I don't know? Because you don't believe the Bible. You don't know. Well, who are you to say that? I don't. I just say it because God says it. I, I, this is pretty simple. You're insane because you're defying God. You're crazy. This is easy. You, you don't have to answer all the goofy arguments they have. They're, just, they're endless. Those things are endless. They're endless. Just never ending. And so, and people think they're so wise and smart. Well, you know, who am I to argue with you about your, how you're wrong? I mean, I, I would not say that. And, and what I want to say, okay, you'd never say that I'm wrong. What if I say that, that you're wrong about saying that I'm not wrong? Am I wrong about that? Now what are you going to say? What? How stupid. You know, I'm, guys, y'all have to pray for me. I just run into these people and I just want to go, are you a moron? It's hard for me. It's just so hard. I'm thinking, you, you should at least be able to logically think through this. But, but sin is so, ah, sin will mess up your head. And these boys are prepared. They, they, they've been studying. They've been thinking through this stuff. And they realize this is a battle about the nature of God. Today in our world, we have the same problem that they had in Babylon. It's the heresy of open theism. It will not go away. That this is the falsehood that teaches that God responds to us. And God changes his mind according to us. And his feelings change according to us. In essence, he's always changing. And guess what happens? Guess where that type of thinking goes? When we keep trying to form God into our own image, guess what happens? We change him into a God that, well, is just like us. Isn't that comfortable? And that's what Nebuchadnezzar has done. He finally has a God on the plane of Dura that he can control. He has a God that he can use. He has a God that's going to help him politically. And so this is a confrontation about the nature of God. Is God sovereign or not? Is God immutable and unchanging or not? Is God the God of truth? Final and eternal or not? Is God able or not? Is God omniscient or not? Is God omnipotent or not? 
This is what this is about. This is what this confrontation is about. And these boys recognize it. This is not about them getting their feelings hurt. This is not because somebody said something bad about the color of their skin. This is not about somebody has made a rule that's encroached upon one of their beloved rights. This is a battle about the nature of Almighty God. And this is why they're willing to enter into the battle. If Nebuchadnezzar had said, from this point on, nobody wears Jewish sandals, these boys would not have stood up. If he said, across the empire, there will be no more kosher dill pickles, these boys would not have stood up. If they would have shut down every coffee shop in Babylon, these boys would not have stood up. I would have stood up, but they would not have stood up. There's... This is not about that. In, in all of Babylon, no more slingshots. What? They would not have stood up. They stood up because this is an affront to the nature of God Almighty. And they were not going to let it pass. This is why. And this is the reason. You have to think through, and I have to think through... When is it the right time and under what circumstances will I have civil disobedience? I'm not going to demonstrate in the streets over my own preferences and over my own rights. I'm not going to do that. The Bible tells me to honor the king. I'm going to do my very best to do that. The Bible reminds us not to present ourselves as rebellious people. Even if you're serving the situation, being a slave, you want to be careful that you don't present yourself as such a way that the gospel gives you freedom to be rebellious. So gospel is, the Bible is always trying to tell us something. There are human rights and there are human circumstances that you may just have to give up for the sake of the gospel. But what you don't give up is an affront to the very nature and truth about God. You don't give it up. And these boys stand up. Now, there's their confrontation about it. Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hand? And, and so these guys are like, we'll show you who he is. Now, so then here's their conviction. Here's what they say about him in verse 16 through 18. Our God, whom we serve, is able. You, you want to know who is this God? Let me tell you, the God that we serve is able. And he will. But there's always a caveat. He will if it is his will. If it's his will. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image. Even if God does not deliver us, we are not going to do it. Some of us are fair-weather friends to God. As long as everything is going well, we serve Him well. But when He doesn't deliver us, we feel let down. As if He somehow owed it to us for all of our service to Him. So, how do you make sense out of this? How do you get figured out if God is able in every situation and every time always to deliver his children from harm and at all times? How do we get figured out when he does it and when he doesn't do it? 
How do we figure that out? Well, here's the issue. When his name is on the line. Not when your comfort is on the line. That's not when you get delivered. We don't have random miracles where God's marching around going, Oops, you feel a little bad, let me help you. Whoops, oops, sorry, is that going bad for you? Oh, ow, ouch. Uh-oh, you're getting ready to die, let me keep you from dying. We don't have that. We act like God is running around like the Red Cross with a stretcher. That's not how God operates. So you, you, you contract cancer. Will God deliver you? He's able. The question you're going to have to answer is this. But if he does not, what will you do? Because most of the time in this world, he's not interested in giving us prolonged life here in this world. This world is not our home. Why would he do that? I want you to stay away longer. Why would he do that? I want you to be away from me a lot longer now. I mean, some of you I could see his point. But, you know, we act like the worst thing in the world for us is to go to heaven. Lord, I don't want that. You have to ask yourself, why not? So God is not interested in just randomly making your life work out just right. I mean, listen, this is true for everybody. We all want this. A long, happy marriage, 2.2 kids. I've never figured out what you do with the two, with the point two, but anyway, if you could write maybe point two off your taxes. So 2.2 kids, a dog and a cat and a goldfish. I mean, you got it made, right? Everybody wants that. You live to be 75 and then you die in your sleep. I mean, that's it. And let me ask you this question. How many people does that actually happen to? Usually not. It's usually pretty ugly. Life is just ugly and it stinks most of the time. Why? Because we're in Babylon. We don't belong here. And so it, you have got to get out of your mind this thinking of God always comes to the rescue of his children whenever something goes wrong. He doesn't. He doesn't do that. There are reasons for that. One may be you need growth as a Christian. So there's nothing like some good old-fashioned yuck to make you grow up. Secondly, it may be that it's through your suffering that a testimony to his name is greater than your rescue. It may just be that it's just life. And life things happen to everybody. And it's just part of your life the way that it is. We don't ever know all the reasons. We do know this God is able. We know that. That what we don't know is about ourselves. But if not. What we will do. And these guys had already determined. But if not. We will not serve. Your gods. Or worship the golden image. Sometimes. It honors him. And it testifies to him for us to suffer for him. Maybe even lose our lives. Sometimes when it glorifies him, he may rescue us gloriously. Here's the point. Like these boys, we must be content with either outcome. Either one. And Martin Luther stood before the authorities, kings and popes. And he was pressured. Threatened, harassed, to move away from the gospel. And his response was, my heart's captive, the word of God. I can do no other. Here I stand. Do what you want to do. 
But I'm not bowing to that. I'm not bowing to Catholicism just to make everybody happy. It's a heresy. It leads people away from Christ, not toward Christ. It's unpopular to say that. But the reformers before us gave their lives because of it. It matters. It matters. It's a, it's a heaven or hell thing. It's not about us winning an argument. It's about how are sinners actually rescued. And these boys had the same thing. They could have given in. They could have said, look, guys, we'll bow down to the statue. You all know we don't believe it. We'll still do, have our quiet time and, and, you know, worship and, you know, do the psalm of the day like the pastor told us. But in public, man, we got to do this thing because, you know, we, we can't appear to be intolerant. We can't appear to, you know, we can't appear that way. And so we, you know, they could have done it, but they didn't. So they had a conviction about the nature of God. Peter said, beloved, do not be surprised. At the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. Do you think that for the Christian in this world. That suffering is the exception. That these trials that we're going to be in. That's the exception for us. That it's an anomaly. That it's rare. No. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, the scripture says. If you are going to live out your faith, you get to have the furnace. It's just the way it is. So what is the price for conviction? Well, look at this. Verses 19 and following says, The Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. An expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And we don't know what seven times is. He just said, turn the dial up on high. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to cast them into the burning fire furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent... And the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. What's the price for the conviction? The fury of the king. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. You are going to get the anger of the crowd. Get ready. You're just going to get it. If you stand up for and live by. Listen. Understand. These guys didn't argue with anybody. They didn't get all arrogant and self-righteous. They didn't go around the picket sign trying to provoke anybody. But when they were forced to make a choice. They made their choice. Do you understand that? I'm not wanting anybody in here to be a culture warrior. I'm not, I'm not wanting to go out here outside the building and, and take on Chillicothe. Can you imagine the stupidity of Baptists marching down Paint Street? We wouldn't even be able to organize that or agree on it. It takes six business meetings to pull that off. But you have to understand that when you get forced, when you're put in the position... 
Where it's either compromise the name of God or not. And you stand. You're going to make people angry. You have to understand this. They want you to be okay with whatever choice they make. And they want to preach at you. You got to be tolerant. You got to allow. Okay. All right then. Then turn that back to me. Oh no, we can't have that. See, the most intolerant people in the world are the tolerant ones. Anything but the God of the Bible. Anything but that. Anything but that. I've noticed among Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses don't offend them. Christianity does. It's different. So you're going to get the fury of the king. And then the fiery consequences, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. I remember one time watching this uh, special on television. And I think Charlton Heston. I mean, how can you go wrong with Charlton Heston, right? I mean, he's been her and he's Moses. I mean, you know, Charlton Heston. And he's an NRA guy. I mean, come on. So, you know, here's Charlton Heston. And so he has this special, you know, stuff for miracles from the Bible. And I thought, okay, let's watch this. And so he has this thing about the, the fire furnace. And he has this uh, research done where he shows how these boys could have uh, been put in this furnace. And, and then there's a, a, an area that's kind of a shelved area. And if they were up on that shelf, that the heat could have bypassed them and gone out the top. And then that's how they came back out like that without... My question to Mr. Heston, even though he is Moses, is simply this. How do you explain when they opened that trap door to put these guys in, it burned everybody else up, but not them? How, how do you explain that? Because, see, it should have burned them up too. Right? As soon as they opened the door, they should have all disintegrated into ashes. But it only burned up the guards that were, you know, the, the bouncers that were putting them in there. So how, how do you explain? See, you know, people trying to explain away miracles. This is just a miracle. And so they're, they're put in there. So he, here's what they're, they're thrown into the fire furnace. This thing is hot. It's hot as Hades, man. It melt the skin off your bones. And so they're thrown in there. So now is this last part of the scripture is the, the presence of Christ. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors. You ever notice about Nebuchadnezzar? He only has questions in this book. He doesn't know anything. You ever notice that? Who can tell me the meaning of my dream? Who is the God that will deliver it? Is this true? Now he's down to how many people did we put in there exactly? Did not Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king, what else were they going to say? He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. And they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fire furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. And come here. You know what I would have said? Come get us. <laughs> then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together. And saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. 
The hair of their heads were not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What we find in this section of scripture is this, that when you're thrown into the fiery furnace, God is able. But if not, here's what we know. He will be present in the fire. We find that in the fire, we have our closest fellowship with our Savior. When times are good and everything's going right, We have the tendency to drift from him, do we not? It's just a human tendency. It's a sinful tendency. And we have a tendency to do it. But when we're in the fire, he comes near. Now, some of you, my dear brothers and sisters, who have... I would call an inordinate affection for the King James Bible. Trust me, I love the translation myself. You stumble over verse 25. The appearance forth is like a son of the gods. and I think in the King James it says like the son of God. Here, here's the thing though, really. Think about this for a moment. Nebuchadnezzar would not have known the son of God. So the translation here makes sense. He, this is, these are his words, the words of a pagan. And so he's saying some divine being is in there. He doesn't know who it is. But, but, but it doesn't take anything away from what we know. This is his answer. There's a divine being in there. We know who the divine being is. So for us, we know that this one that's like a son of the gods is the son of God. That's what we know. And so he has come near. The scripture says, when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God. If horror of horrors happened to you this week the worst thing I could imagine would be to be burned up in a fire it could happen to you and perhaps we would have a funeral for you or memorial service because there's not excuse me for being graphic but there's not enough left of you to even have a proper funeral but I can declare Without equivocation 
or qualification that you were not burned up in the fire. You see, we have the promise of him. And he tells us, I give unto you eternal life and you shall never perish. So God is always true to his word. Even though we may not like the application of it in this life. The agony and torture of it would only be momentary. And it's much better to fear him who can throw the body into hell. As opposed to fearing those that can only do harm to the body. He will be present in the fire. And he's going to be praised through the fire as well. Because Nebuchadnezzar comes out of this and says. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he makes this a public thing. Anybody says a bad word about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, we're going to tear him apart limb from limb. Now that's the kind of Christianity we want. Here's what we find out about Nebuchadnezzar here. He's not converted. He has come to a place of cultural belief. We, we call them cultural Christians. Where they're good with the man upstairs. And they believe God is good. And they believe God is going to get them through things. And they may even say grace over the meal. And they go to church some and. They frown upon people who use God's name in vain. And just a lot of the cultural values. And they have a respect for God to a certain extent. But brothers and sisters, that's a long way from a heart that's been regenerated by the Holy Spirit into the new birth. In which a person gives their life completely over to Christ as Lord and Savior. Depending entirely and completely upon his substitutionary death in their place. Not their good works but in him alone for the eternal life. Those are not the same thing. And sadly we have too many people in our world that have confused the two. We have a great number of people on our church role that are bowing down to the image of Dura today rather than worshiping the living God. About 1,500 of them. Pagans. I'm hoping it makes them mad because pagans always get mad when they're confronted with the truth. He said, and don't, just don't, please don't go there. Please don't go there like, what about those in the nursing home? Hush! You know good and well that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about those who refuse. Here we have Nebuchadnezzar. He's throwing God a bone. Probably to keep God from cooking him in the fire. He's probably just a little afraid here. But this is not conversion. Listen to me. Miracles... Don't cause conversion. The word of God causes conversion. And Nebuchadnezzar has not yet explored the word of God. Not yet. He hasn't asked Daniel anything. He hasn't asked these three boys anything. He's still operating on how do I help my political agenda here. 
Be very careful in elections where those who make evangelical types of promises to the church to get your vote, don't prostitute yourselves. They're liars. They're Nebuchadnezzars just trying to manipulate in order to get themselves into power. Nebuchadnezzar is worried here about one thing. How do I preserve my power? That's all he cares about. If they slip up and say something good about God publicly, more power to them. So we have choices to make. In our world today, in our nation especially, what do we have? We have the proclamation and the propagation of humanism that makes a great big deal out of humans And very little out of God. God is to be put to the side. God is to be hidden. God is to be kept private. Keep Him in the closet. Let the homosexuals come out and let God get in there. That's what we got in our world today. Whatever I'm feeling, you have to deal with it. Whatever I think, you have to deal with it. Whatever action I take, you have to deal with it. That's what humanism says. And what we must do is do what? We must accept it. We must say, well, it's okay. We must let our kids go into it because we're not supposed to tell them, oh, that's wrong, honey. You have to go to church today. It is Sunday. We're not supposed to tell them those kind of things, right? We might warp them. I just let my kids decide. They're five years old. But we see it in a word, I see it in parenting. The children are the center of people's universe now. Whatever the kid wants, that's what they get. If the kid whines and wiggles a little bit, oh, and so everybody else has got to make some kind of adjustment to it. You know what happened to me when I did that? Got my hiney and busted. Because you're going to be coming an adult one of these days and you ain't going to be that kind of adult. But this is what we have, humanism. In our school systems, it's humanism. To be accepting of all these things. Now, as a Christian, you can't be hateful to people. You can't look down on people because you too are a sinner. I've lived to be 58, almost 59, God willing, and I've outsinned most people in this room. So there's no thought in my mind, hey, I'm a worse, you're a worse sinner than me. That's not what we're saying. But the content of this stuff, that we're supposed to be okay with it, when we're asked directly, no, I'm not okay with it. Well, you're a hater. You're a phobic. You're a this or that. No. So here's what we have to do. With this stuff, we don't bow down. There was a young lady who was a member of our youth group, a church I pastored. And the science teacher in high school was waxing long on evolution. Evolution is just a byproduct of humanism. It's a way to explain origin without having God get involved. And maintaining humanity is the pinnacle of all things. And so this young lady politely said, I, I just don't believe that. And he said, you can get out of my class. Now I thought that the law was that we couldn't deny education to any child. That's what I thought the law was. But when it comes to God, the law can be broken. And she was ordered out of that class and made to sit outside the door the rest of the six weeks. But she didn't bow. She didn't bow. It's going to affect your grade. She didn't bow. Some of you are in college right now. Some of you are going to college and get ready to go. And I'm telling you, when they find out that you are 
a conservative Christian who actually believes the Bible, it will affect your grade. Don't be surprised if the professor doesn't call you out right at the beginning. If you're in some kind of humanities class, sociology, psychology, those kinds of things. Lord God, even math class now, you can't even teach algebra without, you know, somehow profaning God, I guess. Don't be surprised they don't call you out. It's not unusual. They, especially if you go to, they know who you are. And professor, just go ahead the first thing. Okay, well, let's just get this over with. Anybody in here a Christian? Don't be surprised. I'm telling you, don't be surprised. But you know what you're going to do? You're not going to bow down. Pastor, I may never graduate. Well, you'll have to decide what your God is. You'll just have to decide. You'll have to decide. But for us, we don't bow down. The teaching of evolution comes around a way to express the origin of humanity somehow with some kind of idiotic scheme of some kind of chaos that somehow produces something of, of, that's created. It's just craziness all the way around. It's crazy. But they jam that down your throat. And if you're a student at school, you're going to have to write down on a test. This is what evolution says. But you don't have to believe it. You can write the answers down of somebody's theory they're out of their mind, but you don't have to believe it. And when people begin to talk like it's the truth, you don't have to accept it because we will not bow down. But it's not going to do it. When people begin to make fun of the Scripture as if it has errors in it and as if it's just merely written by men, no, we're not going to bow down to that. When people say that the Quran is of equal authority to the Scripture, no! We won't bow down. When people say the Book of Mormon is of equal authority to Scripture, no, we won't bow down. No, no, no. It is not. It is not. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't always have answers for these things. Oh, no, you have answers. You remember this. They're the ones that don't have answers. Remember, they're the Nebuchadnezzars. What God is there? Is this true? What does my dream mean? They're the ones without answers. That's why they're so angry. Transgenderism when people can't get figured out. I didn't know that was a thing. When I was younger, we could have used that sometimes, you know. God assigns gender. And when people say contrary, we won't bow down. We're not going to bow down to that. And compromise, we're not going to bow down to it. And to be agreeable and agree with that which is blatantly false, we're not going to bow down. We are going to be loving to people. But that's different from tolerating falsehood. You have to remember that, falsehood. And they get into discussion with you about facts, you've got to give them the facts. We don't bow down to that. Here's plain and simple. We're just not going to bow down to unbelief. That's what it is. We're not going to bow down to godlessness. We're just not going to do it. And though the rest of the world may think that that's what ought to be done, we're just not going to do that. We just don't bow down. If you're here today and you're without Christ, you have not entered into a personal relationship with God through His Son Jesus. Do you know what the problem is? Listen to me carefully and clearly and then you can dislike me. Here's the problem. You 
have erected upon the plain of Dura a huge image to which you bow and that image is you. You have said, I will not bow the knee to Christ, but I will bow the knee to self. That's what you're doing. And you think that somehow, some way, at, at the end of all of that, God's going to say, oh, it's okay, you're just a little misguided. It's not true. No human is a little misguided. All humans are sinful and rebellious. We don't want a king over us. We don't want God to rule over us. We want our own image. We want everybody to bow to it, including ourselves. And we want it to be happy. That's what we do. We worship self. Jesus said something about this. It's, a, it's just one word. Here, here it is. You ready? Repent. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king has given you a command. He's not Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king of the universe. He has given you a command. He has told you to stop worshiping self. He has told you to stop believing upon self as a means of righteousness. He has told you that he is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. He has told you that. And he has commanded you to leave that old life behind. If you perish, it will be because you simply listened to Nebuchadnezzar rather than to King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us the word. Your word that is trustworthy and reliable. God, how we live under the standard of your word and never measure up to it. But Lord, I praise you and thank you that you've given it to us. That we may aspire to it and that you may empower us to live it out to some degree. Now, Father, I pray for those who do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that at, at this time you would convict them of their sinfulness. Help them to see that there is a fiery furnace that awaits those who reject Christ. Where there will be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Lord, I pray that you, Father, in these moments would speak definitely and clearly to hearts that Christ may be praised and honored in Jesus' name. Amen.